The text for the message this morning is 1 Kings 12, uh, verses 25 to 33, and we'll read that together, page 294 in the Pew Bible. So after the separation between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, we read, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast, on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the key to understanding our text is found in 1 Kings 12, verse 16 that we read as part of our reading. When Jeroboam and the people of Israel renounced any connection or inheritance in David's house. You can hear them saying, what portion do we have in David? And you think you could see how that doesn't fit with the song that we just sang together, Psalm 122, where all God's people rejoiced in the opportunity to go to Jerusalem. Although Jeroboam knew very well that God was planning on bringing salvation to the world through the great son of David who was to come, Jeroboam was more interested in building up his own kingdom than he was interested in his own salvation. And the results were tragic. And the ten tribes he was entrusted to protect until the coming of Jesus Christ were misled by his own personal ambitions. Rejecting David, he rejected Christ. And without Christ, he and the people of Israel were left in their sins before a holy God without any peace or security and a few golden bowls in the place of the glory of the immortal God. And if we want to truly glorify and honor the Lord, we need to remind ourselves what the Christian faith is all about. Do we really understand why we are here today? and who we are worshiping when we gather together on Sundays? Is our religion more than simply an 
opiate for the masses, as one Marxist leader once described it? Do you bring your kids to church and raise them with Christian education only because you want them to be kept safe from the worldly ideas that you disagree with, to think like you think? Do you come to church simply out of tradition, perhaps to please God, to keep God happy, or maybe to keep other people happy? Have you lost the sense of urgency that people who know they are worthless sinners feel before an almighty and a holy God? Would you notice if the preacher replaced the proclamation of Jesus Christ as our only Savior with some stories that have nothing to do with God's grace to undeserving sinners, stories that are as useless to us as the golden calves and Bethel and Dan were to the Israelites? Brothers and sisters, the warning in our text is very clear. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under the theme, Our worship is centered on Christ. Accept no man-made bulls as substitute. In our text, the Holy Spirit teaches us to watch out for personal ambition in the church, humanly devised replacements of the gospel, and Christless Christianity. When groups split apart, the group that separates from the original often feels a need to justify its existence by establishing its unique identity. Jeroboam showed that he was a shrewd kingdom builder when he chose Shechem as his capital city and Penuel as one of the first cities on the eastern border that he fortified. Pushing that definitely not David theme, Jeroboam focused the attention of the people of the north on the history of the people of God before David had even entered the scene. Shechem, which was on the border of Israel's two largest tribes from Joseph, was famous because the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had built altars to the Lord there. It was the very place where the bones of Joseph had been buried after the people had conquered the promised land. Shechem gave the weight of ancient tradition to the northern kingdom that certainly would have rivaled the importance of this upstart Davidic dynasty which had been handled so poorly in recent years. Who needs this new King David and his line when your kingdom inherited the name and the history and the tradition of Jacob, the father of the Israelite nation and his famous righteous son Joseph and his family. In Jeroboam's efforts to make Israel great again with the Israel Sovereignty Act and himself as the highest ruler, we can imagine the propaganda of the day trumpeting out the slogans We, the North, definitely not David, by Israelites, Israel exit. Jeroboam was a kingdom builder. With strong personal ambitions, he strived to make make the Northerners proud of their nation, proud to follow him as their king. 
rather than being identified with the Lord's work of salvation through those Jews and the line of David in the south. Well, sadly, Jeroboam's personal ambitions, as shrewd as they were, they stood in contrast to the Lord's command to trust him. If only Jeroboam had spent less time speaking to himself in his own heart, like we read in verse 26, and more time listening to the Lord's words and the Lord's promises. Not only had God told him that he would be king over Israel and reign over all that his soul desired, if he would just walk in the ways of the Lord and turn to him for salvation and deliverance, like we read in chapter 11, verses 37 to 38. But God even sent a message through the prophet Shemaiah to the armies of Rehoboam when they were about to attack, and he sent them all home rather than fight against the northern kingdom. But Jeroboam ignored all this. Imitating Jacob, the first Israel, who sought to obtain the birthright God had promised to him through his shrewd trickery, Jeroboam tried to obtain by his works the very thing that God had offered to him in grace. Personal ambitions for power and personal comfort have a way of setting themselves up against God's work in the world, turning away from what God has promised and attempts to grab it for ourselves. Jeroboam ran ahead of the Lord, but he ran into darkness because he made his personal ambitions more important than God's work of salvation through Jesus Christ, which showed that he never really believed in God's work. Although God had promised to allow Israel to share in the blessings that he would bring to the world through Jesus Christ, and although God let Israel, as it were, ride on the coattails of God's redemptive work through Judah, Jeroboam chose to pursue his personal ambitions in his own strength rather than waiting for the Lord to fulfill his word. Let us never underestimate the selfish pride of people who are motivated by personal ambitions because they can even mislead us from the truth of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. In the kingdoms of the proud, which stand in opposition to the work of God in the world, the wishes of the selfish take precedence over the word of God. And any who follow such arrogant leaders will find that they have, they are, all that they have left are humanly devised replacements of the true religion that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Jeroboam's desire to be in complete control of the people in the north and to not lose them for religious reasons left him with the option of either forbidding all travel to Judah for worship or providing some other way that they could satisfy their religious longings. Well, forbidding travel to Jerusalem to worship 
the temple that his northern subjects had helped to build was clearly not a very good option. No northerner would accept a cold turkey solution as so soon after the temple was built. And we can imagine the outcry if this new king Jeroboam had told them that they could no longer go on the pilgrimages, which were such a part of their culture and family life. Jeroboam knew that if he wanted, to, if he wanted his people to stop hearing the preaching of the gospel of Christ, He would have to achieve this by replacing the true worship of God with other kinds of religious activity rather than outlawing the corporate worship services. Without the ark of the Lord's temple and without the great temple that Solomon had built, the people in Israel would need some sort of replacement for the representation of the Lord that they had grown accustomed to. They needed some sort of representation of the Lord in the north. And so what would they do? Well, you can imagine the Israelite scholars scratching their heads, trying to find an appropriate symbol. Since the Lord had made it so clear, and we just read it again today in the second commandment, they were to have no carved images of the Lord. But by going back before the time the law was given, these scholars were able to find a time that the great high priest Aaron had once pointed to a golden calf and said to the people of God, Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. If they just ignored the fact that this golden calf was condemned by God, crushed into powder, and then consumed by the Israelites who had to drink it in their water, one could argue that at one time in the history of the Israelites, they had thought that a bull calf would work to represent the presence of God with them. And the added bonus of a golden calf for those seeking to mislead the people of God away from Christ was that such a carved image had also been a major symbol among the Canaanites who had been in the land before Israel had even come. When Jeroboam pointed to the golden bulls and said, Behold your gods, he could even say that he was contextualizing the gospel in a culturally sensitive way that incorporated the history of the tribal land they were living on. And just because Jeroboam changed the date to a date devised in his own mind, and he called them to sacrifice at altars standing in front of some golden bowls instead of in the temple, at least the people of Israel could have their beloved pilgrimages. They could live in tents for a week. They could talk about how the Lord delivered them from Egypt and even offer sacrifices if they wanted to. As long as people kept their Bibles closed and ignored what the Lord had revealed and commanded to, even ignored the songs that they were accustomed to singing, it would not be hard to convince them to accept this replacement religion. And do you see the warning in this, brothers and sisters? 
Do you see how important it is to keep our Bibles open? To study carefully the context of Scriptures. To understand where so-called traditional practices are taken. Especially when they're used to replace the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Not every tradition is a good one. Just because something has been done before. Just because something is ancient It doesn't mean we should accept it as something that pleases God today. Now when it came to finding a replacement for Jerusalem, which the Lord had named as the place chosen for his name, Jeroboam first made the people question the fairness and wisdom of God to send them who lived in the north all the way to Jerusalem. When he said, you have gone to Jerusalem long enough. Jeroboam would appeal to the pro-North citizens who had no interest in supporting Judah's interests as well as to the citizens who would appreciate the convenience of having the annual pilgrimage in a location that was closer to home. Who wouldn't appreciate Jeroboam's effort to make it easy to get to a place of worship by giving two major locations, Dan in the north and Bethel in the south, in addition to all the sacred high places that were spread throughout the land of the Canaanites that Jeroboam again opened for worship. In the past, hadn't there been a shrine in Dan that was served by a Levite descendant of Moses? You can read about that in Judges 18. And hadn't Jacob named Bethel the house of God? after he received the vision of the angels going up and down from heaven at that very place? It's true that God had named Jerusalem as the only place where he must be worshipped, and that the shrine in Dan was evidence of the nation's apostasy, but wouldn't God want his people to adapt to new circumstances? That's the question, isn't it? Would God want his people to go against his commands and to ignore his word to serve the interests of this new king? Did God find pleasure in the imitation feast that took place one month later than the Feast of Tabernacles, which it was intended to resemble? In the end of our text, it's very clear In the end, our text makes it very clear that when the gospel is replaced by humanly devised substitutes, you are left with nothing more than a mockery of the true religion. You're left with nothing more than pretend religious activity that doesn't help you in any way. You are left with a futile faith in images of bulls that eat grass instead of the glory of the one true God. There is no point in investing all this time and money to go through the motions of what our culture might label Christian religion if you don't make Christ Jesus the Son of God and Savior of sinners, the center of all your worship. The Holy Spirit teaches us to watch out for Christless Christianity. If you look at your text, verses 
31 to 33, you'll see that the word he made is repeated about nine times in the original language. And so we read that Jeroboam made temples. He made, which is translated appointed, priests. He made a feast. He made calves. He made high places. He made an altar at Bethel. When David's line was rejected and the people turned away from the hope of Christ, all they were left with was the religion of some man that he had devised in his own heart. And the Holy Spirit reveals several aspects of this new false religion so that we can see what kind of things the devil uses to distract us from our only hope in life and death, Jesus Christ. The first thing we notice is that this false religion gave the impression of being very inclusive. Since Jeroboam was more interested in creating a new social club where everyone in the north felt welcome, rather than guiding people to hear the promise of the forgiveness of sins for whoever would repent, Jeroboam incorporated the sacred sites that the Canaanites had established as high places that were believed to carry some spiritual significance and perhaps even help people reach the divine through magic and other means. However, as we know so well today, the only way to maintain and sustain these so-called universal churches where all religions cooperate together as they pretend to walk to their version of God on many different paths. The only way to maintain such an understanding is to ensure that no one ever speaks of the holiness of God who revealed Himself in Scripture. The only way to maintain such an open idea of religion is to deny the concept, the revelation of sin, to confess, to not require people to confess their sins. The only way to maintain that is to deny the absolute need for Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father in heaven. And as a result, in Jeroboam's Christless religion, there was no place for priests who believed in God's revelation concerning sin. There was no room for priests who put their hope in the atoning work of Jesus Christ as their only ground for salvation. The Bible tells us that Jeroboam sent the faithful priests away and he replaced them with anyone who could bring a bowl and seven lambs including some priests who had previously been serving at the high places in the land. The only people who could not be included in the worship service of this so-called inclusive religion were the people who repeated what God taught us about sin, about the need for atonement. You could talk about God's deliverance in this new feast that imitated the Feast of Tabernacles. You could talk about his protection in the wilderness of life. You can even talk about the love of God to all that he had made. But when you talk about the need for Christ to die on a cross to pay for our sins and call people to repent before the holy God, then you will no longer be welcome in any religion that is trying to be inclusive. You can't uphold the biblical teaching of sin and be inclusive at the same time. 
And the Holy Spirit then warns us to watch out for people who are more interested in creating a social club where everyone feels welcome than guiding people to hear the promise of forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ for whoever would repent. First made clear in all the promises surrounding Judah and Jerusalem and the priesthood. And now for us so clear in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the leftover remnants of the worship of the faith that are described in our text give us an inside view of the worthlessness of Christless Christianity. When people turn away from Christ as their only hope of salvation, whether this was done many hundreds of years ago or today in the 21st century, the truth of God's work in the world is exchanged for a mockery of religion that is composed of nothing more than empty traditions and useless practices. When people no longer believe that they are sinners in need of salvation in Jesus Christ, then any so-called religious activities they take part in are nothing more than a sham are only in place to serve the selfish purposes of people. A religion without Christ is unable to promise you peace with God and with your neighbor. It may give you the opportunity to go through some of the very convenient religious rituals in a culturally acceptable way. And it may even use some very nice religious ritual sounding words to describe their leaders and their feasts. But if Christ's atoning work is not proclaimed as the gospel with the call to repentance, such a replacement religion is hiding the truth that God has revealed to us in his word. Like Jeroboam, who incidentally is very similar to the Samaritans and their religion, Jeroboam was willing to keep a holy book in the background, but yet cut it up into parts so that all God's promises to David and his descendants were ignored and just a few ideas were picked from here and there. Christless Christianity is a man-made religion that twists God's promises and deludes you into thinking that you are okay even without Christ. It's a dangerous tool in the hands of the evil one, not to mention the hands of ambitious, power-hungry people. We must always be careful that we are not swallowed up. Brothers and sisters, if the grace of God to us sinners in Jesus Christ is not at the center of our worship, if it's not at the center of our preaching, then our worship is no better than Jeroboam's sham religion. It's not about what you get out of a service or how things make you feel, but it's about what God has revealed to us in his word. God is not interested in people pretending to to worship him, but he cares about what is in our heart. He cares about sincere confession before a holy God and sincere faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. If we have shaped our Christian life so that only the things that fit in with our sinful desires are part of it. And our Christian life is not in complete submission to the revelation of the gospel and scriptures. Then we miss out on Christ. 
His warnings and His promises stand in the center of our lives so that we always remember that Christ's work really makes a difference for everyone who believes in Him. God's warnings also make us see how blessed we are to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. May we submit to His Word and promise in His Word and His promises in trust and in faith. May we rejoice in the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ. May we truly strive to, to glorify God and His kingdom above everything else in the world. May the understanding of the work of Jesus Christ lead us to worship Him rather than go through some motions for our own personal reasons. May we want what God wants in this world and in our lives. May we honor the Lord by our worship, by never ceasing to praise Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as our Lord and Savior. May the Lord help us to keep Christ crucified, risen, ascended into heaven, and reigning from His throne in glory always before us so that we never accept any substitutes for the proclamation of the Gospel. We saw it in John 15, verse 5, apart from Me, you can do nothing. Without Christ, you have nothing at all. Christ is the center of our worship. Accept no man-made bowls as a substitute. Amen. We'll confess our understanding and trust in this fact that idols are worthless and that the Lord is in the center of our faith and worship and singing together Psalm 135, stanzas 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10.